0: Great to see you guys. I have two quick things before we actually get to our morning's portion. So uh, quick, but they're both serious things. So they're both prayer requests. The first is that we'll continue to pray for, as we have been praying for, the Ukraine and Russia and all that's happening there. Uh, We've shared with you before, um, it it hits home for us as a church family. Um, Allah and Kesho uh, are part of our church and Allah is Ukrainian. And her, all her family is there, and understandably, there's a lot of concern and worry and fear. Uh, her, some of her immediate family were able to get out of Ukraine. I think they're in Poland now, but a, a large part of her family is still there. So her brother is in the Ukrainian military, and so we want to continue to pray for them. Also for us as Calvary Chapel. There are 10 Calvary Chapels in Ukraine, a number of missionaries. And so I've been reading and praying and following some of the reports uh, with a number of those pastors. They haven't left. They're in-country, but they are helping to provide practical support and love and care as best they can. But the infrastructure there uh, in a number of cities is just gone, so there's no electricity, water, gas, gasoline. Uh, Food is becoming pretty scarce. Uh, Some humanitarian groups and other Christian groups are doing their best. Uh, to try to bring supplies into the country. But with so many people coming out, there's just some logistic uh, issues. So uh, all that to say, hey, let's just continue to pray. Uh, Of course, these are real people and real, you know, heavy and horrible things are happening there. Uh, The second also is more of a home matter, church family matter, and that is our dear brother Azar is in the hospital. Uh, He's been hospitalized um, from Thursday. So a couple weeks ago, he had COVID, and uh, and praise the Lord, he seemed to have like a more of a mild case and did well. Uh, but he ended up getting sick again. It Initially, presented like a cold, uh, but what happened was it turned into an infection in his uh, lungs, and then in his throat, and then it's made its way into his heart. And so it's very serious. Uh, he is uh, he's not in the ICU, but he's in the HCU, so just one kind of notch below. Uh, But he's having trouble breathing, uh, so they have him on oxygen support and these things. Um, So, you know, young man, he tested negative for COVID, so it's not that. But it's just, you know, kind of all the residual from when his body was trying to fight it off and things like that. Uh, Some of you know his his mom and dad are very good friends of ours of our church. His dad is the pastor at Calvary Chapel Manila. Amazing family, a godly family. So they're trusting the Lord and praying for him. But, but you know, mom and dad, they're worried about their son. And so we want to pray for them as well. And we pray for azar So uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, the hospital policy, we 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 can't go visit him. Um, but uh, I know he covets our prayers and um, and you know just support in that way. Okay, so we're going to pray for these things. All right. Thank you so much. Well, we are in Hebrews chapter 13. We're at the last chapter. If you can believe it, we're almost finished. I'll tell you now, we'll have three total Sundays in chapter 13. So it'll be this Sunday and two more. And the timing works out well uh, in that we're right after that, after we get done with Hebrews, we'll have Palm Sunday and then we have Easter coming up. So we're going to gather for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. And we'd love for you guys to be a part of that. Invite your friends and your family and co-workers. Sometimes people are hesitant to go to church at other times, but usually around Easter, Christmas, they're like, okay, we'll kind of go, that's kind of the thing to do. And so we're going to be sharing the gospel. And, and if you want to kind of sweeten the deal, uh, as a church, we're going to be having a, a luncheon together. The church is going to provide basically what we've done over the last few years, and it's just worked out well for us. We're going to order uh, just a whole bunch of sandwiches from Subway, uh, many, many platters, and in the coming weeks, we're going to ask for you guys to consider maybe bringing a side or dessert and just you know contributing to that. Um, but you know, if you if you bring a friend or family, sometimes you can sweeten the deal. Say, hey, we're going to have a free lunch afterwards. You know, you can stay. I mean, that's how God worked in me. Got a free lunch. The Lord set me up. And, uh, you know, that particular Sunday, uh, you know, coming to the Lord. But anyways, uh, we're going to be doing that on Easter Sunday, okay? Uh, Right after that, we're going to be heading into the book of James, which is just the next book, and we'll have a new series through the book of James, as we've been doing chapter by chapter and verse by verse, titled um, Faith That Works, so it's a little bit of a play on words uh, with uh, the book of James. I'm looking forward to that, but we're not done with Hebrew, so... Hebrews chapter 13. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high. The guys will be happy to let you borrow one. As we we're going to be looking at verses one through six this morning. I entitled our message "Living Out God's Love," and really, we're going to see. Um, I'm going to call it just kind of a rapid fire. It's almost it reminds me of of Proverbs and how sometimes it kind of just pivots from topic to topic. And these six verses kind of seem to do that. But uh, I'll share with you how I think they connect together um, as we get there. But Hebrews 13, if you're there with me, um, I know some folks are visiting. Welcome. We're blessed that you're here. I'm going to invite you to stand. We do so in honor of God and His Word. I'll read aloud the first six verses, and you can follow in your Bibles. The writer says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly, the idea is unknowingly, even entertained angels. That's an interesting thought. Then he changes gears at verse 3. He says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Then he seems to pivot again. Marriage is honorable among all. The bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And he says, and let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. So then we, in response to that, can boldly say, confidently say, well, God is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will not fear what can man do to me. And we're gonna pause there. All right. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you this morning in the name of Christ, thanking you for this tremendous privilege of prayer. And really only afforded to us because of what Jesus has done for us in your great love and grace and forgiveness. And that through Christ and his sacrifice and rising again and then offering us free life, that, Lord, we can step into this place of having an audience with you. God, forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for neglecting this tremendous privilege. And, Lord, also forgive us that our prayers can at times be very inward. We're just praying for ourselves. Lord, this morning we want to pray not only for ourselves, not only for our time of study that your Spirit would speak, but Lord, our prayers go outside of these four walls. We lift up people groups and nations, and Lord, we know in the totality of history and the scheme of biblical prophecy and plans for the world that, Lord, you raise up kings and kingdoms, and God, you have a master divine plan that's unfolding. And so, Lord, in that, we trust what you're doing. But at the same time, Lord, we pray for your grace and hope and mercy and help and strengthening and and peace, Lord, for people who are in uh, harm's way. And that beyond the circumstances, God, that they would come to know you in the peace of That surpasses understanding and hope in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And Father, our prayers then also go into a hospital room where our dear brother is not feeling well, is in intensive and uh, high care. And we pray, God, that you, the great physician, would uh, prove yourself, Lord, gracious and strong and touch our brother, heal his body, comfort mom and dad. Lord, we perhaps even think of our other loved ones who are in a similar place fighting for physical health and not doing well right now, and Lord, we lift them to you um, as well. You think about the, the guys who would break the roof and, and lower their buddy down, and by faith, Lord, you would bring healing. And so, Father, we, in a sense, want to break the roof and and bring Azer before you and our loved ones before you that you might move and touch and heal and comfort. And by faith, Lord, we say thank you for how you'll do that. We commit our time of study to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. It's so great to see you guys. Why don't you say hello to someone, and then you may have a seat. As we come into chapter 13, most of you have been journeying with us, maybe you've noticed, it seems to me as I read it, the tempo of this letter seems to increase. And I think part of it's uh, contributed to the fact that at least as I look at it, the sentences are generally shorter. Uh, It's almost like reading, if I can say it this way without stumbling anybody, biblical fortune cookies, you know, the little tabs that you pull out, or... Or if the writer was uh, alive today, we might say, this is, these look like tweets from his biblical Twitter account. You know, it's just these kind of short, um, rapid, fire kind of, uh, you know, um, s- phrases and, and, and instructives and directives that he, that he gives to us. There's also another element where it seems to kind of just change structure a little bit. Um, anybody remember the days, the good old days when you would actually write a letter with a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper. You remember those days? Uh, maybe you can relate to this. There, there'll be times where I didn't budget, maybe you didn't budget your white space well, and so you started off with some you know, lofty thoughts and a lot of things, but then also you get towards the end, you're like, oh no, I got more to say, but I don't have a lot of paper left. And so you begin to either write really small or you just shorten your phrases, right? They just become kind of quick, real quick thoughts. They're important. You need to get them out, but you don't add a lot of extra to them. Or if you're really creative, you start writing along the margin, you know, and you, know, you start looping your own thing, or you just put a little circle, and you, then you're like, aha, I have the back of the page, let me write the rest. That's what I envision the author as he's writing the, the, this letter to the Hebrews. The first 12 chapters are uh, this amazing um, presentation of the gospel, of of taking the pictures and people and systems of the old testament and, and kind of laying them out and say hey uh, this is what God gave us but remember this is something that's temporary and now that Christ has come we don't need the old life we don't need to you know to to worship in this prescription anymore Oh, well, God gave it for for a time and a season but now that Christ has come uh, that chapter is closed, and now we have a brand new way of how we relate to God and worship God and enjoy God. And he's done a, a masterful uh, job of presenting uh, th- that Christ is greater in, in all of these things. And yet, then, when he gets to chapter 13, and it seems like all of a sudden, uh, you know, those profound truths. And, uh, and explanations have all of a sudden shrunken down really quick. It's just this kind of shorter, uh, rapid-fire instruction that he gives us. And as I read them, though, I, it, to me it reads as a summary list of how we should live in response to God's love. It's very practical, these things. And I also submit to you that really it's... it's It's a form of application. It's an extension of what he's told us back in chapter 12 when he said we're to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And so maybe one question is, how do we do that? How, How do we serve and worship God? And how do we do that in community? Well, he offers some very practical ways in which we do that. And you notice with me, they're not very specific. I think they're a little bit general. On purpose because it, it'll look a little different in your life and mine and of course even throughout you know history of, of just following Christ for all the generations. I'm going to divide chapter 13 into three parts so today we'll look at verses 1 through 6 next Sunday we'll do 7 through 17 and then uh, the first Sunday in April we'll do the rest from 18 to the close but the first part I submit to you is, is applicational. It's direction, just, I would say, in kind of everyday life. And he kind of hits a lot of different areas of our life. And so it's just direction in everyday kind of community. The, the second part is a little bit more specific, and then he he begins to address what, what we should do and how we should do things as it relates to our spiritual community. Those that God has place in our life to lead and guide and teach and our relationship with those people and with each other in the context of our spiritual community. And then the third part, is direction revealed really more so through his prayer. He begins in verse 18 to say, hey, pray for us. And, and in that prayer request, we can see some things that we can relate to. And then, and he basically says, and, I, and I'm praying for you as well. And so through that prayer request, we'll unpack that and again, pull out some application for us. But it's this section, it's very practical. It's very, it, it pivots quickly in the thought, you know, from verse to verse, and it seems like there's no connection to them. I mean, if you're one that has an inclination for ADD or HD, ADHD, uh, these verses are for you. Right? Like squirrel? But I want to preface it, and I've done this before. Uh, two important things I want to make sure we we understand as we step into this. The first to understand at any time that we come, when we come to this passage, or thing or passages like it, where you begin to read, there's things for us to do and um, and directives that God gives us. It's important for us to remember that that our obedience to those things, when we read them and and for us to do them, it flows from. God's love for us and our love for the Lord. Like our obedience as Christians to the things that God tells us to do is rooted and flows from love. Jesus says, If you, if you love me, then you'll do the things that, that I've commanded you to do. And sometimes we can get those backwards. We can think, Well, if I do these things, then God will love me. If I do these things, then you know, I'll make God happy and, and I'll, I'll have, you know, I'll be morally acceptable before the Lord, and, and, and so let me do this, and that, that way I then I can earn God's love. Listen, we don't earn God's love. God loves you. God loves you. It's religion that says, do this, and then God will be happy. Do this, and then you'll have some kind of position or favor with the Lord. That's not the gospel. The Bible says that God loved you and me even while we're yet Sinners. And so it's when we come to understand that God loves us, then we come to see these things and realize, oh, God loves us. He wants what's best for us. And so, therefore, I I, want to do these things. I get to do these things. It's a whole different paradigm, you know, mindset that changes. Not that I have to. We get to. We would want to. So that's the first. We want to make sure we understand that. The second is sometimes we can read these things and, and, and they're, they seem idealistic. They seem like, well that can we really do that or achieve that? We have to understand that uh, why they might seem idealistic, uh, they are also uh, things that God wants us to pursue. that they're not just abstract principles. they're not just verses that we like, oh, that would make a great uh, slow, you know verse for my coffee mug or my uh, email account or to put it up on a wall in my bathroom. It, These are things that God gives us that we wouldn't occasionally consider, but that we would continually pursue, that we would regularly apply, that daily live out. Not that just we'd admire them and adore them, be like, oh, those are great things, but, but they would be things that we would put a handle on and carry with us and be a part of our everyday life. Because sometimes we come to Scripture and we like it, we appreciate it, but it kind of just sits off as though it's something we adore or admire. My oldest uh, recently, a couple of months ago, bought a brand new, well not a brand new, new to him, a used truck. And it's pretty. It's a Toyota, I think it's a Tacoma, you know, 4x4, like all these additional options and Sent me a picture. I had to guard my own heart, you know. not to covet my own kids' truck, and so I'm like, "Hey, no, are you are you gonna take that thing off road 4x4?" And he wrote, "No way." You know, my I'm like, "Then why buy a 4x4?" You know, like just go get a Prius. Look at the gas prices right now. You know, like buy an electric car. You know, and he's washing it. You know, he had it in you know in, in the driveway and. Like, hey, you don't want you don't want that thing just to be an ornament. Like, take that thing out, you know? Go drive it around, get it dirty. Sometimes we treat our faith, we treat scripture like that. Oh, it's pretty, I, I like it. No, God says, hey, get in the four by four faith and drive these things out. Live these things out. Oh, we're gonna get messy a little bit, right? We're gonna bump into stuff. It's that's also part of being, you know, the body of Christ. So But with that, let's just kind of walk through these different verses. Again, some of them don't necessarily seem to connect. You might make a connection between marriage and prison, but I don't. Okay, I don't. (laughs) Not at all. Okay, not at all. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Well, right off the bat, for me, I I want want to notice some words and point them out to you. For me, the word that I notice is continue. It says, oh, the author... Uh, assumes that these guys are already doing that. He doesn't just say, hey, I want you to practice brotherly love. He says, let it continue. So he's assuming that it's already happening. And, and it's, a, it's a great word. I mean, the way it at least reads in my Bible, brotherly love, in the original Greek, in terms of the, the, you know, the, the letter that went out, it's just one word in the Greek, although it means brotherly love. It's the word, you've, you've heard of it, right? Philadelphia. It in itself is a compound word, which means brotherly love. But phileo, if you've been in church for a while, you know, right? It's one of those different kinds of love. It's not agape. It's not eros. It's, it's uh, friendly love. It's uh, community love. It's a uh, sense of you know family type of love. It's that type of love and affection and care. Um, so that's phileo. And then, and then delphi. Adelphi or Adolphos, it, it just simply means brother. It, it literally means from the same womb. That's the idea. From the same womb, like your siblings that you know that your mom gave birth to, that, that's the idea. And of course, it is one of the pictures that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with each other. We're not just a bunch of strangers. We shouldn't be just a bunch of strangers sitting in a room <laughs> together first and foremost, when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible describes it in a lot of different ways, which is in itself a beautiful thing. We've been redeemed. We've been rescued. We've been PCS, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been born again. And one of the other words, a beautiful word, we've been adopted. God adopted us. He took us out of our old sinful life and family, if you will, and he brought us into his family. John says, behold the manner of the love of God. He's bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And so now we come into a new relationship with God, God the Father. Now we get to be called sons and daughters of, of God. But also, guess what? We, we get to be familia and ohana with each other. Right? We're brothers and sisters together in this thing called the church. Spiritually, we're womb mates. Can it, womb, yeah. First service didn't like it either. That's okay. <laughs> I should have learned. Yeah. Oh, we're adopted. We're born again of God's spirit. And as the scripture says, by the grace of God and, the, and faith in Jesus Christ, right? Grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And, and, and beyond our relationship with the Lord, we get to enjoy this relationship with each other. A couple weeks from today, on a, on a Friday, a good Friday, we're going to gather together and it's going to be a family service. And we're going to open the scriptures and we're, we're going to read and remember the, the time in which Christ was crucified on a cross for you and for me. That we know that he went willingly. He would say, I, no one takes my life, I lay it down of my own accord. He did so on a Roman you know, crucifix, right? A, a cross on a hill called Calvary, by the way. That's where we get our church name. And we're going to read the passages. And one of the things that I'm praying about what we're going to read, and you guys know that there are seven things that were recorded that Jesus would speak from the cross, And to me, what's remarkable of all seven, but one of them, one one that has always struck me, stayed with me, has been part of our, our own church culture and ethos, if you will, is that when he's there, his mom comes, Mary comes to the cross, and along with Mary is one of the disciples, John, and they're coming together. And in his pain and in his suffering, he sees his mom and he says to his mom, behold your son, referring to John. And he says to John, John, behold your mother. And we're told that, that from that hour, then John, in a sense, adopted, you know, made Mary a mom to him. That kind of a relationship. And I love that scene. And so for us, you know, many, many years now, we've, we've looked at that, we've considered that, we hold and live by this motto that, that families are made at the foot of the cross, We are a blended family, a beautiful, blended, crazy family. And that's a good thing. And so we we are to love each other by the fact that we're family together. There's times where we're not always going to get along. There's times it's going to be messy. We talked before, right? That's opportunity for us to show grace and forgiveness, these Christian virtues, There's different reports, but one of them in history is that in, in early in the early church history, uh, when they you know when Christians were being persecuted terribly by the Roman Empire, there was this curiosity amongst Christians and groups that started to become known where uh, Christians would care for each other and love each other and help each other, and and so there was this historian by the name of Tertullian. He would go and he makes this report to bring back to, uh, you know, to Rome. Reporting about the Christians and how they interacted. And he noted how very different Christians were. And one of the things that he says, this phrase, he says, oh, how they love each other. How it marked the community, but it, it impacted him and impacted others. And again, That that's how it should be. Jesus says, the world will know that you and I belong to each other by our love for each other. Was it last week, two weeks ago? We talked sometimes, though, you know, we we get caught up in these petty things. We're fighting each other, and we're critical about each other, and the body of Christ, you know, and and then we lose our witness to the world. And it discourages us. It's one thing to say it, and it's a very different thing to live it out. We'll get there soon enough, and James is going to basically call us out, his readers out, and some hypocrisy. He'll say, "Hey, you guys say that you're you have faith. You say that you know the Lord. You love Christ. You're you're a Christ follower, but you don't really take care of people. Like you, you just say it in word. When you have opportunity to pray, when you have opportunity to help, and you're ah, like, 'Ah, I'll just pray for you.' And for James, he kind of has some. I mean, James is one of those guys that, you know, he'll just say, hey, I love you, and he'll punch you in your face, right? That's, that's the book of James. And I'll say, like, how can you really call yourself of the faith? And, and John, very similar. John kind of picks up the same theme in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And, and John offers this, and very similar. He says, you know, if you, if you have the means, if God's provided for you, and you have time or you have earthly possessions, and then you know, all of a sudden you see somebody that's in need, you see a brother and sister, and, and they're lacking, and they're struggling, or there's just something in their life, and and you withhold compassion. Now he doesn't even say withhold your goods. He says you withhold compassion. He says, how in the world can the love of God really abide in you? In his little, his his favorite phrase, he says, little children. You know, again, it's it's endearing, it's family. He says, little children let us love not just in words, in our mouth, with our speech, but let's love in truth, let's love in deed, let's love in action. He says, by this then we'll know that we belong to the truth. And, and we can reassure our hearts even in the presence of the Lord. That's, that's a challenge for us, and it's a good one. And that first verse reminds us of that. that that's something that I believe we do, and we do well as a church, so thank you the encouragement is, let's continue. Let's continue to make this part of our ethos and, and what God has called us to do. Because there is an impact, not only in our own selves, but also the community around us. And sometimes it's us, right? Because, you know, the, the world is hurting. And I would submit to you that there are people, maybe you, that's how I was, I wanted just something that was authentic and real. I was tired of plastic and fake and phony. Like I wanted to know what's true and what's real, authentic. And I appreciate that when we come to Scripture and in the body of Christ, authentic doesn't mean perfect. (laughs) It can be ugly and messy sometimes. But it's where we own that and we recognize that. But you know, the world around us as the scriptures reveal it's influenced by the devil, it, the world, the system around, the culture around us loves to offer its counterfeit version of love. Often in the form of lust. It loves to offer people around us uh, a counterfeit community of acceptance without accountability. Of you just write your own, to, you can be whoever you want. But it's shallow. It's a veneer. It's plastic. It, it's virtual. And it leaves a soul empty. It's the idea of like drinking salt water. You're thirsty for something and you think, oh, I'm going I'm to be satisfied by this. But You know, like that's why we don't drink salt water. It, it makes you sick. It leaves you more thirsty. It doesn't provide what, what a, a you know, person's looking for. And so it is then a call for us to have biblical and brotherly, authentic love of Christ that you and I should be living in, not just uh, in abstraction, but in practicality, living in and living out. And so church family, here's the exhortation for us. Here's the challenge for us. Let's do that. Let's And I'm qualified. Let's genuinely, authentically just be engaged and love people. And to do that practically. Because God's called us to be a family. Now, what does that look like? It can look like a million different things. And so I would just encourage you, hey, pray. Ask the Lord God, how can I do that? What does that look like in my life in this season right now? Verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Again, I think the overarching theme is just the love of God being manifested in these different arenas of our life. And, and care and concern and love of God isn't reserved just for the people we like. You know, it's easy to love lovable people. But it's also the stranger. It's the person that we, are we don't really know that well. And to be open to that, to be, you know, not just reserve um, our affection and attention and our time for just a small group. I'd add, listen, for us as a church, it should be a prevalent distinction. And we just we just said that, but it's not meant to be exclusive to us. Right? You know that account where, um, oh, it's not in my notes, so. My little brain. Sorry, Yumi. Jesus is in the house and he's ministering and it tells us that all the people are crowding in and that nobody could get in. We, we don't want to experience the love of God as though it's exclusive for just our group, as though we're some exclusive club, right? No, we, we need to be extending that outward. We need to be inviting people into this. And yet, sadly, sometimes that's, that's not what happens. Sadly, sometimes we, we can be guilty of forming Christian cliques. We have this little group, and then this little group, and you know, it reminds me of my high school days. Get to the cafeteria, there's all the surfer guys, there's all, well, back in my day, all the breakdancer guys, uh, we didn't have, it in my, maybe in your high school, you know, the potheads and, right, the goth people and all the, again, my day, all the girls that dressed like Madonna that season, you know. There's just little groups. They're all clicky. But that happens in church sometimes. I mean, it happened to the Corinthians. Paul writes to them and says, you know, people walk around like, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul. And others like, oh, yeah, well, I'm of Jesus. You know, look at my bowling shirt. And he basically says, that. My paraphrase, you shouldn't do that. That's, that's immature, that's stupid, that's foolish. That's not, that's, not, that's not the heart of Christ at all. It's rude. <laughs> and yet, we, we do that sometimes. And, and sadly, maybe you've, you've been exposed to that, you've seen that, right? What happens, it, well, it breeds pride and uh, a harsh criticism. That's usually the fruit of that. Not even fruits, the works of the flesh. People become pharisaical, judgmental. Who wants to be a part of that? I don't. And so we have to cultivate these kind of things. I, again, I, I'll be the first to understand. I understand that, you know, we want to guard ourselves, and you know, we have these friendships, we want to guard that, and be protective of that, loving others, extending ourselves. It involves risk. It involves, you know, sometimes an emotional, okay, vulnerability and putting ourselves out there a little bit. I'll confess to you, when I first moved here, I mean, it's been many years now, but I still remember when I first moved here, we came to plant the church. My heart wasn't right in one er area, well, in a lot of areas, but I wanted to be obedient to the Lord, but I had this mindset of like, I don't really need any new friends. I had great friends in California. We did life together and community together, you know, they're they're, you know, walked through us, with some hard times that me and Christy had, and uh, watched our kids. You know what I mean? Like, we had great community, friends that became family, and, love, and I love them to this day. But I had this mindset like, ah, when I get here, I'll just have acquaintances. <laughs> Can I, I'll confess, I was a fool. God wanted to bless me and Christy with new relationships. I realized, like, it's not that I had to give up my old ones, it just added to them. You know, my our relationships expanded, and the blessing is that some of those relationships then connected, you know, amongst them, like my old friends and my new friends, and now, now I got this exponential blessing of the Lord just in relationships, and if I had kept myself in this kind of self-protecting, self-preserving posture, I I, I know that I would have forfeited just God's great gift of relationships that he's brought into my life over these years, many years. And and I do believe I'm probably one of the richest people on planet earth just because of you guys and the relationships that God has brought into my life. And, And, you know, and then For many of you, we get to pray you back and get to have another round. It's so good. It's so enriching. It's so worth the risk. And the reality is, you know, as we entertain strangers, right, all friends arguably started off as strangers at one point. But here's what I want you to notice. Here's the emphasis. Notice the emphasis of responsibility. What's implied when he says do not forget to entertain strangers? Anybody know what word is implied? You. <laughs> you, you, you don't forget. Right? He's not saying don't forget to be entertained. The, the responsibility, the ownership of this, here's the challenge, you ready? It's yours. It's mine. You engage. You invite. You initiate. And sometimes that's a challenge. It's a little bit of a challenge for me, though. again, I've come to truly value the the reward over the risk. Because there's times, you know, not all relationships turn into the greatest thing. Sometimes it's like, ah, you know, we do better apart. <laughs> and that's okay. But the rewards have, you know, the dividends have far outgrade, out outweighed the Minor discomfort. Because I've taken those tests, I've shared with you guys before. You know, I, I'm an I. <laughs> I love what I do, and I love you guys, and I love people, just not all the time. I I have to I have to pull away from a Christy is energized by a group. I'm like, go for it, you know. I send her out as our, our family ambassador. You go to these things. You know? <laughs> There's times where I me mean, I, I have to. Recharge my battery by myself, <laughs> quiet. Uh, but I want to be obedient to the Lord. And of course, I enjoy, I enjoy people. But sometimes I, I'm sad when I hear people come and they come to visit or come to worship, and, and somehow where we'll get back where they're like, oh, we didn't really feel welcome there at Calvary or no one said anything to us. Oh, it grieves me. I try not to take it personal, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I take it personal. That's our family. I think our family's cool, I think we're pretty warm. if that does happened to you, I'm sorry. Sometimes I, I wonder if because of the nature of our body, we sometimes have a lot of visitors and PCS season, and there's times where I've noticed like, oh, there's just a bunch of new people, and they all seem to be sitting in the same spot. And so if that person next to you isn't saying hello to you, maybe because they're new. <laughs> and so there's been times where I'll, I'll uh, say, hey, if you're new visiting, you know, if you're here for maybe the first month, would you stand up? And then you know, the whole row stands up. And they're like, oh, okay, they're not rude. They're just new, like me. Right? Now, generally, I'm, I I don't do well when. Have you been in those churches? Like, if you're new today, like introduce yourself. <laughs> like, I won't I won't raise my hand. I'm like, oh, Christy will. We are we are. You know, <laughs> and I just move over a couple of seats. I I realize it can be uncomfortable, but uh, this isn't a suggestion. (laughs) This isn't like, ah, my personality doesn't really fit that, so maybe I shouldn't do that. No, we want to be challenged by that. Be the initiator. Be the one who invites. Uh, Again, it'll look different in your context in your season, but that's the challenge. In fact, the, the author adds this kind of shocking idea that when people did that, they entertained angels and they didn't even know it. Now, we, we can go to a few Scripture references where that happened. I think Abraham is uh, one of the um, you know, well-known examples, right? He, these guys come by, and he's like, hey, let's have a barbecue. You know, you guys want to come over for a barbecue? And ends up finding out that it's the angel of the Lord. It's, you know, I believe you know, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament and, the, and angels that are with him. It's a very interesting thought. Uh, ultimately, though, here, here's what I want to take a principle out of this. Uh, it's the idea that, that heaven is, uh, is interested in hospitality. And hospitality, if you will, is, is a reflection of, of heaven. It's investing in those things. And, and, and really, ultimately, any act of hospitality really is an act of love towards the Lord. Any act of kindness, especially to God's people. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the scene uh, of really the end times. And there's a group of God's people who are hurting. Uh, they need help. They need food. Some of them are imprisoned. And, and then there's this other group who go and, and do that. They love practically. They're going to feed them. They're going to visit them uh, in prison. They're getting diapers for some of these moms and, and families just in a very practical way. And the group then says to to Jesus, because he says, hey, when when you did that, you were doing that to me. You came to visit me in prison. You came to feed me or feed me and help me. And the group says, what? We didn't see you. When were we doing that? And the Lord responds, truly I say to you that whenever you did that to the least of my brethren, you did that to me. Where the Lord identifies with that. And so, I'll say it this way Heaven is invested and interested in hospitality. And it was very interesting the idea that maybe even you'd have an angel that comes over for you know, taco rice. Uh, our time doesn't permit. I, I believe I had an angelic encounter before. You guys been around, i shared this story. I'll do it real quick. Had a rough day. Um, working at Nike in Southern California, I go downstairs and there's this. I think he was like six six. That's my memory, right? This guy, he's dressed in mariachi outfit, and he's just playing this large steel guitar and he's singing in Spanish. Beautiful. And I only know street Spanish. I don't know what he's singing. I just know like orale and chale and you know, those those phrases. He's not singing any of those phrases. But I had a bad day. I all of a sudden just closed my eyes, felt myself worshiping the Lord. And I, go, I went to look to give him money. Like, where's this guitar case? There was none. I go to the store, I come back. He's gone. I ran all around the complex looking for him. He's gone. Nobody knew what I was talking about. They thought I was crazy. And I thought, Lord, you sent a mariachi angel. <laughs> so in my mind, And I call him Miguel. <laughs> That's a true story. I don't know if he's really an angel, but that is a true story. There's no third service, so you guys are good. All right. Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Again, I, Each verse could stand alone. We could probably take an entire Sunday on these things. Context. The first century, Christians, well, even today, were persecuted, imprisoned for their faith. And so he's not necessarily talking about, it can include that, but not necessarily for crimes, but but on the account of their faith in Christ. And so there was this population of people who uh, were locked away from regular life, removed from community. They couldn't attend the gatherings. There's no open hearts, open homes for them. By the way, you you should sign up, right? That's, That's what all this passage really is, like sign up for open hearts, open homes. But God doesn't forget them, and and God directs his people not to forget them either, right? We get to be the hands and feet of the Lord, and so God says, I'm not forgetting them. I don't want you to forget them. Now, if we keep it in context and who he's talking about, prisoners, those who are mistreated, of course, we want to think of them, pray for them. If there's an avenue to help provide and and do that, we should do that. isn't it interesting that it often is it's churches that have prison ministries, right? It's often the Christians that are the leading um, you know, edge and the front of you know, prison ministry. And praise the Lord for that. But I, I do want to suggest to you that the principle of this can be extended and applied, I add this, to anyone who's removed for any reason from regular fellowship. And the idea, really, I'll say it this way, make it real practical. It's for us to notice who's not around. Who's not around and reach out to them. Check in on them. But to notice who's not around has a huge implication or inference. It means something. It also then means you know who is around. Because if you know who's around, then when they're not here, you'll know, hey, so-and-so, where'd they go? And again, then we take initiative. If we are practicing brotherly love and kindness and care, that would be like, send them a text or make a phone call. We pray for them. King, all of us understand, right, this past two years, we, we have, all of us have had a taste of what it means to be removed from fellowship. We, we've all had a, a sampling of what it means to be restricted of movement, not have the normal freedoms that we normally, you know, can enjoy, that we miss. Sometimes, you know, we realize, man, I've taken that for granted. The, the, the hard part of that is all the, the fallout of that, as though there's like a, the second wave of an, an epidemic. Now it's more mental and emotional. We're fatigued, and we're frustrated, and we're angry. We haven't been able to go where we want to go and see who we want to see. And people can't come to us it creates this, this you know, sort word I want to say? Frustration and disappointment. And people are depressed, and we're watching, you know, sadly suicides and these things, and and all of it's a huge cost. And we're not without hope in the Lord. God can take all of that and uses all of that, leverages all of that. We you know we've been studying how. You know, It's through the pain and things that, that God builds our faith. They're character building. They're transformative. But the point I want to make, though, is that notice it's a collective responsibility as a church body. It's not just for the leaders. We're, we're to put ourselves in their flip-flops as if chained with them, as if removed with them, as if struggling with them, as if hurting with them. Because why? Well, we're the body as well. When one member suffers, we all suffer. And so here's a challenge. Can we love each other enough to pay attention to who's not around? And when you don't see them around, that you would pray for them, you care enough to reach out and just say, Hey, I haven't seen you. Are you doing okay? Verse 4. Marriage. Marriage. Uh, marriage is honorable among all. If you haven't seen The Prince's Bride, that's, that's where it's from. Anyways, The bed undefiled, but fornication and adulterers, God will judge. Again, it seems like this weird pivot, right? Hospitality, angels, prison, marriage. (laughs) How do those things go together? It's love and community, relationships that are part of our normal life. God holds a really high regard for the institution of marriage, and rightly so, it's his gig. (laughs) He invented it. He designed it. He instituted. He gave it to us. It's a gift that God's given to us. And along with that, right, forms the basis of family. And so the writer here says, notice it's not even imperative, it's just a de- declarative. Marriage is honorable among all. So we'll turn that into a verb. Let's honor marriage then. If God esteems it, God holds it in high value, therefore we should too Is Believers, as a church, we want to seek to honor, support, pray for, encourage marriages amongst us. Because we—that that is in the opposite direction the world is going. Culture around us is not honoring marriage, right? It's devaluing marriage, seeking to redefine what marriage is, completely outside of Scripture. Increasingly, we live in a culture that... That champions sexual immorality, you know, lust as a cheap substitute for love, and so we find marriage is not honored by all as it should be. Increasingly, the idea of marriage—it's it's disposable. Or, you know, adultery and abuse and. The institution of marriage, just in general, it's marred, and it's marred in many ways. And so, you know, I would say no wonder there's a growing group of young people who look at the world's model, and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that then. And so they're not getting married. And yet here the writer tells us marriage is honorable amongst all, and, and then he adds this uh, phrase, you know, the, 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 bed is, the marriage bed is undefiled so he addresses intimacy, physical intimacy. And a reminder for us that that is a gift that God gives for married couples. It's to be enjoyed in that place, in, in, you know, in the purity of that as God defined it. And the best illustration I can think of is when you think of a physical intimacy. It's like fire. Like fire can be helpful, and fire can be constructive, and fire can be comforting, fire can be uh, edifying in its proper place. You know, in a fireplace, it's comforting. In a fire pit, you're making s'mores. At Yakiniku, fire's great. (laughs) Very edifying. (laughs) But if fire in the fireplace moves to your wall, Or it's on your curtains, you're not like, oh, that's real comforting. You know, bring over the extra marshmallows. No, right? You're that's that's dangerous. Fire gets on your clothes, right? Fire outside of the boundary of the the place where it can be enjoyed, it's destructive, it's damaging. And the same thing with the gift that God gives of physical intimacy in the place that God has designed it in the context of marriage. It's comforting, it's constructive, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's edifying everything that God wants it to be, to be enjoyed. But outside of that boundary, outside of that place, it's destructive and it's harmful and it's damaging, it's dangerous. And, and, and here's what we read. God tells us plainly that outside of that, it's sin regardless of what the world says. The Bible tells us plainly, it's sinful. In fact, to continue in that mode, God is going to judge those who continue in their sin. Marring the picture of marriage. Marriage is designed in one beautiful aspect to be a representation, an earthly representation of God's, of Christ's relationship with the church. So if those who are Outside of that bound, it mars that picture. I do want to say and understand, too, that God is forgiving and God is gracious. And there are times where, you know, we might step out of bounds and, and, and yet the Lord in His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness, God can restore and redeem and that in itself is a beautiful thing. Again, the idea that those who continue in that, those who be known by those things, fornicators and adulterers. And so, gang, we want to celebrate and honor and and promote and protect biblical marriage. That this place will be a place of healing and reconciliation and strengthening and restoration, a place of acceptance for those who have been wounded. And like, I imagine all times, but just, especially in our culture now, right, marriages are coming under attack. and Christian marriages are under spiritual attack. We need to be praying for married couples. And I even say pray for our unmarried family members in church, that, that they wouldn't settle for God's, you know, they wouldn't settle for less than God's best for them. Verse 5 and 6, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. I don't know about you, but man, that that verse is the one that I'm like, Lord, I want to be, help me. <laughs> to be content. And notice though it's anchored to the idea of God Himself, identity, and what the Lord has provided, for He Himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So then we can boldly say, my paraphrase, we got God. God's got me, and we got God. He is my helper. I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? We'll close with these thoughts. Covetousness is the opposite of contentment. And the idea of covetousness, it means to, to want something and pursue something without constraint. And there are other words that are like it. Envy, jealousy, greed. They all live in the same Apartment complex. They live all on the same street called Evil Desire. And once again, society and the world around us would love for us to live on that street too, to stir up in our hearts discontentment and to be dissatisfied. You know, billions of dollars are spent. To convince you and me that our life is boring and that uh, we're not good enough if we don't have this product, or that uh, we're not, you know, we don't, we're not, um, you know, our, our lives are ugly or they're junky. And so then we need these things in order to be happy or to be beautiful. If you just had this, then you'll be content. And we fall for it, don't we? Hook, line, and sinker. Again, yet we know in our mind, well, we're not gonna satisfaction doesn't come from things, and yet we still pursue things. Oh, there's the bill. I'll go quick. Not only does our relationship with God change, but our relationship with things should change. Where they no longer then become the the means in which we find satisfaction or identity or contentment. The economy of God's kingdom operates on a different currency. And so what is the key of contentment? It's twofold. It begins with understanding that it's not achievement, uh, accumulation, what's another word I can alliterate? Uh, Accolades, there you go. It's none of those things. But rather, it is pursuing the things of the Lord. To know that if you have Christ, you have everything. And God has promised you that He Himself will never leave you or forsake you and all that you need, even beyond material things, God will provide. Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous. I think everyone should have everything they've ever dreamed of so that they can see that that's not the answer. Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says, yeah, everything else is worthless compared to knowing the infinite value of Christ Jesus. And for his sake, I've discarded everything else, and Paul says, I count it like garbage so that I can gain Christ. I'll close there. To have Christ is to have everything. And the foundation of that is this promise that God gives us that he'll always be with you. And that is then the key to contentment. Lord, I have you. I have everything. Lord, we thank you so much for our time in your word. It's very practical. But as we prayed and we talked at the beginning of this, we realized that this isn't just a pretty four-by-four that we look at that we consider in um, abstraction, but these are things that you want us to do. And Lord, may we do so in obedience, out of love, love for you, and and a genuine love and concern for the people around us. The world is plastic. The world is virtual. The world has its veneer. Lord, we, we don't want to look like anything like the world. And so help us to be sincere and authentic, Lord, however you want that to look like in our life in this season, ultimately, Lord, help us just to be faithful and obedient to what you direct us to do. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, you guys. Saying a little bit later. Have a great day.